I'm thinking about doing that to my hair. What do you guys think? Would that work on me? You think? I have to moose it off my back all the way up over the top there. Uh, I want to get in the Word this morning. How about you? The Word of God, the Word of truth. But just before we do, I, I want to say this. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and Jim Parkin and I have kind of a running joke where we have the veterans stand, and he said, I don't, I don't like that. So I said, I, I get it. It's embarrassing. So a couple of years ago, I said, everybody, everybody um, stand except for the veterans. You remain seated. And he, he didn't like that either. So I've got, I think I got it this year, though. Yesterday, or it was Friday, my grandson's class invited veterans to come and to be a part of that. So I went, and you know, they thank you for your service was heard by the little people from on the Holly Academy, and they sang the national anthem. They did the Pledge of Allegiance. They sang, oh, I don't know, God bless America, land that I love, or something. Just song after song, thing after thing, turning towards the flag. And I thought, you know what? Veterans Day is not simply the honor of the veterans. It's something we should do as a culture. It's not, it's not because it's good for them. I think most of them would rather not stand right now. But it's important to our culture that we have them stand. It's important to our children to have them stand. It's important to our nation to have them stand. And it, it's, it's, is it good for them? I don't think it makes a huge difference to them. I don't think anybody joins so that one day in church 30 years from now, I can stand, right? And it's a little embarrassing to have people clap for you. At the same time, how many guys realize it's important as a culture, as a church, to honor those whom deserve our honor? So at this time, if you're a veteran of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard, would you please stand to your feet and let this congregation say thank you for your service right now? Come on. <laughs> and, uh, thank you. Where's the camera? So take that, Parkin. I outsmarted you again this year. There it is. Right on. All right, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. And by this church, I don't mean just this corporate body, but the people that that are here today, that are watching today, that are listening on the radio today, driving down the road. I pray that today you would speak in such a way that we would look back at this day, point our finger and say, that was the day. That was the day that God put something in me or showed me something. That was the day that God seemed to know my name and the hairs on my head in a way I, it altered the trajectory of my life. So I pray that now in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. All right. So back to our statement, guys. Nothing will fully satisfy you in life. The money, the accolades, the degrees, the, the trophies, they're all, these are all wonderful things. I, I demean none of them. Um, but I would say this. Nothing will fully satisfy in your life except finding Jesus. Everybody good so far? Finding Jesus and fulfilling your God-given purpose. Realizing that you're a hammer but never driving a nail is unsatisfying for the hammer. Realizing that you're a screwdriver and trying to drive nails is frustrating to the screwdriver. We have a purpose and a reason for being. And so we're looking last week and then again this week and then one more time next week. What are the clues? What, what did God make me to be? Because until I think I find that, um, let me just say it another way. Until I know who I am, I'm a little lost even though I know Jesus. Be very honest with you. Anybody, anybody known Jesus but still felt lost? Anybody want to be honest in church, right? Anybody, anybody's like, I got a good marriage. I got my kids have straight teeth. Everybody's a see or better student. I got my 401k, you know, creating interest for me when I retire someday. Life is good. Why do I still feel empty, unsatisfied? I know Jesus. Why don't I have that abundant life that Jesus promised? So the abundant life that Jesus promises comes from a direct result of us living the life he's created us to live. Does this make sense? 
So this has always been a big deal. This is always going to be a big deal. This always has been a big deal. And so let's get into it this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. You know what I'm going to say next, don't you? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Here we go. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't your own work. This isn't something you came up with or you were good enough to be saved or you're, you're in the top 10%, therefore you get to go to heaven. The next 10% have to go to purgatory and the other 80% can like, you know, cut bait. That's, that's not what this is. You didn't earn this. It is a gift. When I realize I'm lost, I realize there's only one Savior that can help find me. When I realize I'm empty, there's only one spirit that can fill me. When I realize who I am, there is no one else in existence that can make me what I should be but the one who created me. It's by grace I've been saved, through faith. And this is not for myself. It's the gift. Everybody say gift. It's a gift from God, right? Not by work so that no one can boast. And here's verse 10, my life verse. For we are God's handiwork, workmanship, poem, masterpiece, various translations would say. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why are we created in Christ Jesus? Help me out. It's to do what? Which God prepared when? Okay, so God placed inside of us. This is my theology. This is the King Jim version of, of these verses. Is I believe that it isn't a mystery that cannot be solved. You know, God made me to be something, but then he hid it from me until I died. Does that sound like God? If God gives you a desire and he doesn't give you something to fulfill that desire, that's cruelty. If God gave you a hunger and didn't create cheeseburgers, come on. That's, that's not even being a good dad, let alone a good God. So he gives us these things that, yes, they're a little gnawing. Yes, they're a little painful. Yes, they're a little passionate. Yes, sometimes they're not automatically fulfilled. We don't press buttons and all of a sudden this microwavable life comes out 10 seconds later, nice and warm and hot. But we go through everything we go through and God begins to connect these disconnected dots into a storyline that becomes our lives. So God places inside of you, I believe, the raw elements of your destiny. How many of you guys have a history? Let me see your hand. How many of you guys would love for God to use your history to create a destiny? Redeem the whole thing, right? So what do we do about finding it? Last week, we talked about passion. We gave you this clue, um, the important clue of passion. Passion's wonderful. How many guys like passion? I mean, the music is good. The, you know, the food is good. The Passion City Church and passion. Find your passion. Live your passion. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand this. If all you do is find your passion, you will not find your purpose. Passion will cause you to do certain things that will feel right in the moment and later on will still be unsatisfying. I've seen people, I'm passionate about snowboarding. Like, that's great, man, go snowboard. But, you know, then it's, it's like, well, June. I would have said April, but it's Michigan. So June was safer, right? I'm really passionate about deer hunting. Well, that's great. This is gonna be a great week for you. But, you know, after like January 1st, you can't kill anything for a long time. Unless you're driving a car. I almost whacked two deer yesterday on the way back from a funeral. <laughs> That'd be the first deer I've gotten in years. It's not the story I want to tell, but you know. So there's this thought of passion. You didn't find your passion. Live your passion. But I have known people who found nothing but their passion and yet not lived a fulfilling life because their passion revealed was a clue, but it wasn't the answer to the question. So there's, there's a warning I, I want to just bring to you. And I, I mean this sincerely. Um, if all you do is locate your passion, study your passion, live your passion, do your passion, there's a good chance that eventually you'll be living for you and not living for others. Does that make sense? I'm passionate about this. That's great. Go do it every day. You're going to be excellent at it. Make lots of money. All the accolades. It feels like success. But how many of you guys know life is not really supposed to be primarily about you? As God has done for us, we are to do for others. So this week, we're going to add a second question. And this is probably the foundational. To me, this is the, the clue for superpowers. Here it goes. Put it up there. What's your pain? What's your God-given pain? What kills you? What bothers you? What thing 
problem, issue, person sitting next to you, whatever it is, right? Would you remove from the earth? Let me take out that last one. If you could. What? When you heard about it, everybody's like, oh, that's, that's bad. And you're like, oh, I can't stop seeing it. What is that, what is that thing that, that bugs you so much? It could be an injustice. It could be a need. It could be a, a problem. But other people are like, yeah, there's, that's a problem. There, there are those things in the world, and the world's not a safe place. They move on. They go on their way, but you, in that moment, kind of find a piece of your way. I'm supposed to do something about this. Anybody ever had that one? Anybody, the Lord ever told you to do something? You're like, man, that would be so weird if I walked up to that person and told them I'm praying for them or you know, walked up to a person and said, hey, I, I heard your story a little bit. And I want to buy this outfit for you. Or, you know, hey, I, I just, like, like, what is it about their pain that's moving you? It's weird, but understand this. God will move you to do the most incredible things you'll ever do because of pain, not because of passion. And then we as a culture really don't like pain. We have everything to avoid pain. And I'm telling you, and we'll get into this in a minute, but some pain is necessary for you to understand your purpose and for you to live it. So here's what I, I told you last week. Some people said, these are my passions. I want to be in a van with wet dogs. I want to, you know, study warfare. I want all these things. They went to live them. Here's another list. These are people's pains. And I said, what is it that, it was the second circle. What's your pain? They said this. When people don't know each other and they feel awkward at gatherings. That was literally somebody's pain. I just hate it. I, I was always the new kid moving around. I go in there and people don't know each other and just, I don't know. So I just look around. I ignore my friends to find strangers to make sure they feel welcome. Um, another one said kids who have been abducted and somehow ended up in the trafficking industry, the sex trafficking industry. Uh, another one said to me, tears in his eyes, millions without the gospel. Another one said poverty, hunger, and dirty water. Another one said, people who don't know what they have in Christ. really bothers me that Jesus has done all of this and all we know is salvation, but not the life that comes after salvation. That was her. That was her pain. A man told me once, junior high kids, comma, without a dad. But we all know we're laughing at, right? Those who suffer from addiction, kids who can't read, the elderly who feel forgotten, young entrepreneurs who have a passionate dream but no real plan, hurting marriages, those with mental illness, and the last one, declining churches. So remember last week I asked you, what do these things have in common? And the answer was nothing. What do these have in common? Anybody know? Nothing. They're painful, just like the others were passionate, but it should be this one thing. It should be this one thing. Before there was a you, there was a reason for you. God, seeing the need in advance, created you to be a need meter, created you to be someone who's prepared to be the right person at the right place at the right time. Most people understand this. They run from these things. And these people are saying, I'm not running from them. Come on, I'm running. Clue number one, write this down. Whatever you run towards that others run from is telling you something about your God-given purpose. Whatever you run towards that other people run from is telling you something about your God-given purpose. When we look for volunteers to serve in various ministries of the church, there, there are certain ministries that only called people would serve in. Does, does that make sense? So it's like, if you want to be on the worship team, well, I, I can't sing. Well, if you want to be in the nursery ministry, for me, honestly, little kids scare me. The smaller the person, the more frightening they are to me. I don't know why that is. But I get into that room and I'm like, hey, I'm so grateful to God for all you in this room. I go back there and the Selvig family, they're just like, they're just like magnets to babies. You know what I mean? Come here, the kids are crying. I don't want to be in church. Oh, there's Betsy. Okay, see you, mom. How many of you guys have ever watched people, the little people leave our ministries after church? There's more crying coming out than there are going in. But if I was in that nursery, we'd all be crying in both directions. 
I walk in like, hey, how's it going? They're like, stranger danger. And they look at me and they look at Betsy. And I just like, okay, I'm leaving because I don't belong here. I'm not saying nobody does, but how many guys can recognize I would run from that environment, but the Selvig family runs to it. Why? Because there's something about children that they love and children know when they're loved. Addicts. People who, who have lived a life of, of habitual addiction for years and years, their own mother won't return their phone call and you're running towards them? Troubled marriages. When two people of goodwill that love each other are both right and won't back down, there's going to be a need for a third person to say, you know what the problem is? You're both idiots. <laughs> and both of them have to agree. Otherwise, one's an idiot, and then they all blame. So I, I don't like marriage counseling. I don't care for these things. They're, they're insanity to me. Like, to punish me, you would make me do these things. And others are like, this is the reward of my life because it relieves a pain. When, when somebody's old man runs out on them when they're in seventh grade and they're 12 years old and they watch all their other friends come back to school with their deer hunting pictures, but they don't have an old man to take them hunting. Well, now they're 40 years old. And they say, listen, I'm never gonna let another kid feel the way I felt when I was their age. I'm taking, I'm, they're gonna kill something if I have to tie that deer's leg to a tree and paint it bright orange. But they're gonna kill something. Why? Because what they're trying to do is be the person they couldn't find 20 years ago. Does that make sense? So pain, it becomes this. Whatever you run towards that others run from is telling you something. We do a great disservice, guys. Hear me. Our souls need to feel pain. We don't like it. It hurts. But there are, there's something that happens in pain that does not happen in passion. There's something that happens in pain that does not happen in pleasure. And so we've, we've convinced ourselves sometimes that if it hurts, do something else. I'm lonely. I'll watch TV. I'm bored. I'll, I'll scroll the internet. Uh, I'm, I'm in pain. I'll, I'll take a pill. And I'm not saying that pills are bad. I'm just saying this. God has an ultimate pill. It's called the gospel. It's a terrible joke, but you know what I'm saying. There's, there's this thing where living for Jesus, it, how many guys think Jesus felt pain? Physically, did he feel pain? Emotionally, did he feel pain? He's, he's sweating like drops of blood in the garden. My God, you know, please take this cup from me. Like, oh, look at how stoic he is. No, he is extraordinarily human and he's feeling the utter discomfort of what's in front of him. You ever been there? Parent-teacher conferences, you ever been there? As the kid, I'm saying. So there's bad pain. Everybody say bad pain. I got a toothache, that's bad pain. Take a pill, get a dentist, get it dealt with. There's good pain, go to the gym. You know, sit there in the gym and, you know, lift that empty bar until it hurts. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then go have a cheeseburger. That's whatever it is. That's good pain. That's building your muscles. But there's not just bad pain and good pain. Hear me. There's God pain. Come on, you didn't get that. There's, there's a pain that's bad, yes? There's a pain that's good, yes? And there's a pain that's God. That, that God pain where it breaks God's heart. And hear me. He entrusts a piece of his broken heart and deposits it in you. And to say, I don't want to feel like this is to deny one of the great reasons for your destiny, for your creation, for your purpose. We worship God through obedience, not just through songs. And when I see something that breaks my heart because it has broken his heart and he's entrusted that to me, it's a compliment. Listen to me, guys. There is no greater compliment God can give you than to entrust to you the very things that break his heart. Look at that statement. There is no greater compliment God can give you than to entrust to you the very things that break his heart. There is no greater compliment God can give you than to entrust, to put in your care, to make you a steward of the very things that he has to see and hear. 
and smell and feel that break his heart. And so instead of sitting in heaven pining about how bad the earth is and causing another destructive cataclysmic event, you know what he does? He takes the pain of that moment and he places it in the souls of his children until his pain becomes our pain. And then we proceed with the power that can only come through pain, not just passion. If you're passionate about something and you succeed, you'll be satisfied and the passion goes away. If you're passionate about something and you fail chronically over and over and over again, it's easy for your passion to cool because of discouragement. But when you're in pain, there is absolutely no option but to obey. And as a compliment from Almighty God to show us things, to bring us in on things. I'm telling you, it, it makes nobodies into superheroes. When you are engaged in the pain that God has uniquely put inside of your heart as he's entrusted it to you, things change. I want to give you a few thoughts here today. I, that was my introduction. You're like, great, we got nine minutes. Not my fault. Let's go. Number one is this. God-given pain comes with responsibility. God-given pain comes with responsibility. You are responsible not just to feel it and deal with it. You're responsible not to feel it and have calluses. You're responsible to feel it and do something about it. Come on. If you get this, your world changes. And if you don't, I have to preach this again next week. If you, if you see the cause, you see the person, you see the nation, you see the children, and you do nothing about it, you are not stewarding the pain that God has entrusted to you well. You're not even being you yet. You're compromising the you that God made you to be, to be something you think you want to be. Trust me, if God has given you a pain, you go with it. Well, it's impossible, but it, it's so hard. But what if this happens? How can I afford it? And when will I find the time? I don't know how to answer those questions, but the God who entrusted you with pain will also entrust you the things that you need to accomplish the relieving of that pain. How many of you guys want his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, that means a lot of stuff has to change. Not because we just pray, but because we actually go. We serve, we do, we speak, we give, we pray, we, we lay our hands on people, we share our food, we share our home, we share encouragement, we share discipline, whatever they need, right? I'm back to marriage counseling again. <laughs> the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about a man, a master who entrusts to his, his servants a certain amount of money. They're called talents because a talent was a, a measurement, a, an ounce, a pound, whatever it was, of gold or silver, some sort of precious metal. It had value to it. So we, we got that, but somehow we thought that talents only meant good things. You have the talent to sing, the talent to preach, the talent to be funny, the talent to be friendly. Um, those, I'm not saying those aren't the talents, but understand this. A talent, by definition, is anything that once belonged to the master that is now entrusted to you. So it's not just the ability to sing. It's not just the ability to preach. It's not just the ability to do, how many push-ups now, Jason? We have to do 30, I heard the other day. 40, bam, right there. Couldn't do one when you came in FCA. Now you're doing 40, you got shoulders. I love it, I love it. Good for you, young man. He's getting dangerous. Hang out with Pastor Jason, you get dangerous. That's all you have, right? I'm saying this, when, when they realize these things, they move into them. A talent or a bag of gold, NIV says, is anything the master has entrusted to you to steward for him. Second thing, you got to get this. You ready? I just let me say that one more thing. Um, we look at pain as an affliction. If it's a God pain, it's not an affliction. It's a promotion. Some of you do well to get your heart broken if it hasn't been broken in a while. A friend of ours, I won't say her name, but you know I'm talking about, you want to go to Haiti, and she said, oh, I've been dealing with this and paying for that and, you know, stewardship. Her gift is generosity. And she said, I, gee, I, I, it's been a while. And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, maybe it's time for me to get, to get my heart broken again because it's been a while. Isn't that interesting that a woman who can afford anything wants to be engaged in something that's actually painful to look at? Why? 
because she recognizes that without a broken heart, we really don't live the way that we're created to live. Second thing, God-given pain is, is what I call purpose propellant. Nehemiah is this ordinary guy, conquered nation, you know, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, whoever. They're, they're like, they, they were first conquered by their own sin as a nation and the second conquered by a foreign army. That's kind of the ongoing story of Israel in the Old Testament. Nehemiah is in this prominent place. He's the cupbearer to the king, which sounds really prestigious, but let's be honest. What he's supposed to do is anything that's brought before the king, he's supposed to put in his mouth first to see if it's poisonous. There was no retirement from this job that we're aware of, no social security, no, just one of these days you grabbed your throat, fell down because one of the foreign kings was trying to kill your king. But he has access. He's a conquered man, he has access. And then we find this in Nehemiah chapter one, verse two, that one of his friends, his name's Hanani and some other brothers have been to, to, to the Jerusalem area where his destiny is. He doesn't know that yet. He, ha- he doesn't have a pain other than being conquered, being enslaved, being less than. He feels that pain of being, uh, I'm being something, but I'm not being I'm supposed to be. And then this exchange takes place in Nehemiah chapter one, verse two. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem, the city that will be central to his purpose. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Listen, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And this is what happens, and this will happen to you sometimes. And then they go on their way. How's it going back home? Man, it's just terrible. This broke down. That's the fire and the tombs of our fathers are laid bare. The jackals are running out of the city. People who are there, there's no wall to hide behind, no gate to shut. Everybody's in huge trouble. And they go, yeah, well, good seeing you. Nehemiah, it's time for lunch. And they just walk away. Understand this. Not everything that hurts you is supposed to hurt everybody. But look at his reaction. This is what happens. They go on their way. He finds his way. This is what he says. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept for some days. Everybody say days. This gives you the weight For some days I mourned, I fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Hanani and his buddies go on their way. Nehemiah finds his way. What was was the key to get through the gate of his purpose? Do you know what it was? It's pain. He had access to the king, but if he walked in the king's presence without being invited, he could be killed. He's summoned, he stands there, and he looks sad. How many guys know someone's supposed to drink your cup to find out if it's poisonous or not, and they, they aren't happy? You would notice that. So the king says, you, you, you don't look happy, kid. What's going on? Oh, you know, how can I be happy when the gates where my father's, are, the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and his gates have been burned with fire. That was enough to be executed. This is what's happening. Please hear me. He would rather die disobeying the decrees of the king than to live in the pain that was given to him by his God. I'm telling you, the best things you'll ever do, you'll do because of pain. It's purpose propellant. I don't care what this costs me. I can't not do something about this. Number three, God-given pain is what makes heroes even out of villains. Luke chapter 10 tells the the parable of the Good Samaritan. I love that story. There was a man as he went from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they they left him half dead, which is biblical talk for unconscious. Is he breathing? Is he not breathing? He's dying. He's there. And and through a matter of time, a, a, a priest comes by and he sees the man lying on the road and goes on the other side of the road from him. So to a Levite afterwards goes and seeing the man lying there goes on the opposite side of the road. But when a Samaritan came to where the man was, he saw him, verse 33, that a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was. And when he saw him, anybody know what happens next? He took what? took pity on him. What, now, Samaritans, um, 
I think a decent analogy, Palestinians and Jews, friends or enemies, help me out. Okay, Palestinians and Jews, Samaritans and Jews would have been doing the same thing that Palestinian or Hamas and the Jewish people would be doing today if it were not for the Greek and then the Roman empires that said, you don't have the, the power of capital punishment. So if your village attacks their village, we'll decimate your village. We'll destroy your children. We'll kill everybody. You are not allowed to perform any capital punishment form any way, shape, or form. If you do, we won't just punish you. We'll destroy your whole village. So you better keep your people under control because if your poop gets out of a group, we'll flush <laughs> with opportunities, right? So they're the bad guys. But this is the way Jesus tells the story, right? So there's a guy that falls in the hand of robbers and the guy that should have stopped didn't, another guy who should have stopped didn't. But when the bad guy in the story, when Osama bin Laden came walking down the road, when Hitler, as he walked down the road, maybe more appropriately a Nazi or a Taliban came walking down the road, he saw the man laying there. Now the parable doesn't tell us if the man's Jewish, if he's Aramaic, doesn't, doesn't tell us if he's, if he's a, a priest. They have no idea who he is. He's been stripped of his clothes and he cannot speak and he's been disfigured by the beating. So no one can tell if he's on our side or their side. But the Samaritan, when he sees him, he's moved by pain. Come on, he's moved by pain. Say it with me, come on, he's moved by pain. And when he's moved by pain, Jesus takes the villain in the story and makes him a hero. Why? Because I can't not do something about this. He's risking everything to do that because the people that beat that man are somewhere around. He's still bleeding. He's still breathing. The, the, I'm alone too. I've got stuff. I've got a donkey. I've got oil. I've got wine. I'm ready for a barbecue of some sort. I've got money. I'm a traveling guy. Like everything they took from him, they want from me. And to stop and help this guy is to put me at greater risk. But once you're moved by compassion, come on somebody. Once you're moved by compassion, you can't be unmoved by it. You, you've just got to do something. So this is a risk, and let's get you up here. And it's oil and, and wine and, and a, you know, some barbecue sauce, and we're ready to go. And you're, okay, let's, let's, let's get out of here. They get him out of mountains where it's all dangerous for robbers and things. Get him down to the city and say, take care of him. The guy still hasn't woken up, still hasn't said thank you. And when he does, if he's a priest or a Levite, he'll look at the Samaritan and say, how dare you have touched me, you rotten, filthy person. Understand this. When you're really in pain, all the other things that would limit you from greatness are gone. It doesn't matter if junior high schoolers are different than senior high schoolers. If your heart is broken for junior high schoolers, you'll figure it out. It doesn't matter if this group of political people or that group of political people disagree with you. When it comes to who they are, God has a heart for everybody. And there's a pain that will move you to be the things that you're supposed to be. Look at this. Fourthly and lastly, God-given pain is what God uses to make somebodies out of nobodies. Maybe you've heard this analogy, but please, please allow me to say it again because I think it makes the most sense to me. If you're walking down the road, let's say it about a month from now when the ponds start to freeze over, you hear a crackle crunch sound and you hear the sound of a kid. Let's make it a boy because it's not going to be a girl. And let's make it a junior high schooler because we all know it's going to be that kid, right? And he's you're like, help. Help, and there's nobody around. You're walking towards your deer stand and you see this kid, he's all by himself, crack, he falls through and it, the water's deep and he's trying to get up and he can't, he goes back, help. And you know it's just a matter of time before this kid's gonna die. You really only have a binary option, right? Number one, you break through the ice and try to rescue that kid knowing that in doing so, you're risking your own life. What got him may also get you. Or number two, you walk away and you hear that kid screams for the rest of your life. Those are your two choices. 
Passion gives you lots of options. Does that make sense? Pain doesn't. This is why pain, knowing your God-given, God-entrusted stewardship of the talents of God given to you for the people on this planet, for your generation, is so vital. No, it's not thrilling. It's actually killing. (laughs) No, it's not wonderful. It's horrible. And yet the greatest things you'll ever do won't be because they're pleasurable, but because you're responding to the pains that other people have because you have the heart of God inside of you. Guys, listen to me. This is why Jim Parkin, our chaplain in Grand Blank, sent me a picture of the day. The building was completely in flames. He's an EMT paramedic. Am I saying that right, Brian? There's a difference between EMT paramedic. Are those two things? He's a, he's a big deal. He spends more time on the inside of human bodies than the outside of human bodies. Let's just put it that way, right? Trauma and stuff. The house was fully engulfed, and somebody says, they're in there. They're in there. Now, he's not equipped with all the stuff that firemen are equipped with. He ran inside of a burning building, breaking all the protocol, and single-handedly carried out both of those pit bulls. Yeah, it was somebody's dogs. They were stuck in cages in a burning house. He sent me a picture. There's two pit bulls lying on gurneys <laughs> with oxygen masks over their little snouts. Is that because he's, he's passionate about pit bulls? Because he's proficient? at rescuing dogs from burning buildings? No, because somebody's saying, my baby, my puppy, my dog, please help. And he looks and he adds it up and he just runs into a burning building. Now that's not smart. But sometimes courage makes you look stupid. Sometimes the pain, because Jim didn't get into that for the, you know, the, the fame and the money. He had to help people. He saw people in need, puppies in a burning house he ran in and rescued them, right? Why does a man jump on a grenade to save his buddies knowing he's gonna die? Why do people leave everything and everyone to go on the mission field? Why, why does an average person start a ministry to reach kids who've been through hell? Why? Why, why, did, why did the whole pastoral staff take about a 50% cut in pay to work here and put in more hours than they're used to? Why would you die for your kids? Why? Why did Jesus die for you? The answer is the same, isn't it? I love you too much to not do what's needed. There's something comforting to me about the Old Testament. Piano guy, join me if you would, please. The Old Testament says, if you hack me off, then I can hack you off. If you punch me, I can punch you. If you beat me in a fight and I lose my eye, I get the pleasure of gouging out yours. You know, there's something, there's something just about that. And then Jesus comes along and goes, you know, it's, it's really instead of justice, it's about mercy, which means somebody has to have their eye gouged out and not gouge out the other person's eye because I'm so exhausted by the justice of man that I will employ the justice of God, which means someone will pay for the sins of others. Does this make sense? This, this thought of pain, well, you'll do whatever's necessary because it's necessary. Let me, let me ask you this. Just, what would you do for your kids? How many of you guys ever had the, the thought, I would willingly die for my children? I mean, when they're teenagers, you, you, you want to kill them. But you know what I'm saying? There's that, there's that thought of like, I, I would just die for you. My, my son was um, six, seven hours old. I'd never really held a baby in my life. And when I had, it had been an unpleasant experience for the both of us. Someone said, here's my baby and handed it to me. I didn't know like, like newborns in their head and the whole flopping around slinky thing. I didn't know. I was the youngest in my family. So if anybody was crying, it was me. And now someone's handing me this little lump of clay and they start crying. I start crying. And then, thank you for letting me hold your baby. That was awful, you know? And now it's my kid. Dina almost died in childbirth and um, 
it's, it's a terrible situation. They wanted to hand me my son. Here's your son. I said, I can't right now. I've got to deal with this. But you know what the real truth was? It wasn't just I had to deal with this. He said, I didn't know how to hold my own son. And so I, Dina had fallen asleep. She had three days of labor. If there's any advertisement for birth control, talk to my wife about childbirth. That should, all teenage girls that are thinking about, talk to my wife. That should talk out of men altogether, you know, let alone having babies and stuff. But she was asleep and finally kind of got rested. I woke up after a couple hours of sleep and I walked down to the nursery and there was a nurse that was down there. I said, I, I got to be honest with you. And she said, which one's yours? And I said, I don't even know. He's a little fat one with no hair. That's all I remember. Covered in blood, screaming. Is that, does that ring a bell? Is that, you know? And uh, what, let me see your wristband. So she said, okay. I said, I'm crying. I said, I don't know how to hold my own son. She said, come here. Happens all the time. Dumb people like you are not rare, you know? Set me down a, a glider rocker. And for the first time, she put Joshua David Wiegand, my son, in my arms. And it, was, it wasn't this moment of, this is wonderful. It's like, oh, crud, what have I done? Dina, <laughs> you know. She handed me a bottle, and she said, just do this. I did that, and, and he, was, he was sucking on the little bottle thing, you know. And I started to relax, and, and he, he opened his eyes. I'll never forget this. I can still see it. He opened his eyes, and he looked at me. And this is what I said. These are the first words I ever said to my son. It just came out. I didn't mean to say it. It wasn't like this, this moment of, I'm prepared to say this. What came out of my mouth was what was in my heart. I looked in his little eyes, and I just said these words. I just said, I'd die for you. And I'd still die for that punk. <laughs> I'd die for J.D., Although he's tried to kill me many times, I would, I would die for J.D. What is that? Hear me. If you don't have that kind of love in your life for an orphan, you don't have that kind of love in your life for the hungry, you don't have that kind of love in your life for the lost, if you don't have that kind of love in your life for your children, if you, if you understand that was a painful moment, I'm, I'm, I'm dedicating to some degree my life and my death to somebody because I love them. So often we avoid these things that cost us too much because we don't want to pay it. I'm just here to tell you, life is on the other side of being willing to die. Life is on the other side of being willing to die. So I ask you this question again. What's your pain? What is it that kills you and bothers you? What's that thing? What's that place? What's that group? What's that kid? What's that nursing home? What's that addict? What's that person that wrestles with depression? Everybody's running from them, but there's something in you that you want to run towards them. I'm telling on the other side of the commitment to run towards them, God has a life for you that's different than the life when we just live it with passion or we just live it for ourselves. I just want a simple, quiet life. Good thing Jesus didn't say that. He didn't want a simple, quiet life. He wanted a dangerous, filled with risk, crucifixion filled. Why? Because he's looking at the needs of mankind. And love says, I'd die for you. Linden Campus, you'll take off at this time. We'll finish up this this here. Um, Just hear me, guys. Last thing. Jesus went to the cross because the pain of you not being with him in heaven was greater than the pain he faced through crucifixion. What would you do for your kids? My kid had bad kidneys and my kidney would save him. How many of you guys wouldn't just dig out yours with a dull, rusty, dirty spoon? That's, That's horrible. That's agonizing. You know what's worse than that? Not doing that. 
That's what love does. Law says what's required, what's the most I can do, what's the least I can do. Love just says what's the need. I'm just going to say this, and we'll just land the plane here. If you don't have that level, that measure of pain in your life, I get it. Life's busy. You're raising your kids. You got little league. You got softball. You got grand. It's time to set up that tree. We got to set it up a month earlier every year since COVID. We have to set up that Christmas tree. You know, I got leaves to deal with. I got PTA. Man, I just I got the bill. I got problems of my own, man. You know what I mean? I get that. But understand this: I don't think God called you to be centered on yourself every moment of every day. Christianity is not about making you better. It's about making Him bigger by showing the world what Jesus is like, by being like Jesus. So if this guilts you, I've, I've done a, a poor job. I, I apologize. But if this challenges you to say, you know what, it's worth it. Well, what's the it? I don't know. It's up for you to decide. But it's worth it. It's worth it to love these kids. It's worth it to greet at that door. It's worth it to keep fighting for a marriage. It's worth it to, to, to move on after failure. It's worth it. To, to work two jobs so you can get out of debt. It's worth it to serve. It's worth it to go. It's worth it to sacrifice. Why? Because when you love something more than yourself, then life begins. So let me ask you, what do you love more than yourself? Remember, I'm going to look at your checkbook. Remember, I'm, I'm going to look at your calendar. Remember, I used to interrogate prisoners of war for a living. And what I found is about 80, maybe even 90% it's hard to find any evidence, Christians, inside the church, it's hard to find any evidence at all that they love something more than themselves. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? I, I, it's not a condemning thing. I hope it's not. That's, not. that's not saying, aren't we all terrible? It's saying, do you see how much room we have for life that we've be, yet not begun to, to live? Because I love the Claire's Hopes, and I love the Prism Projects, and I, I love the Center of Hopes, and I, I love the youth ministry. I love it. But you know what? There's about another hundred things that need to start, and they're in your heart right now and not in this world. And until they get out of your heart into this world, you'll never be satisfied with Christianity. You'll get bored. I've read this devotion before. Maybe it's not time to read. Maybe it's time to write. So, Father, I pray that as you've sent your son to jump on the grenade of the consequences of my actions. And he did because of his great love for every person in this room. It is now our turn to find the grenades of your choosing and to jump on them as well. Whatever you ask us to do, may our answer forever be yes. Because life begins after that yes in a very different way. <laughs> it's contradictory to say no and Lord <laughs> in the same sentence. So if we call you Lord, we've said yes. Help us, God. Help us write the book. Help us to start the company. Help us to walk away from what's safe and stable into the unknown because of pain. Help us, God. We need you. I'll go anywhere you know this. I told you this 30 years ago. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything on one condition. You've got to go with me or I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so God, I pray that over my friends. We'll go anywhere. We'll do anything. All we need is the knowledge that we are sent and that you'll be with us wherever we go. That's why the Hubbards are where they are. That's why our staff, that's why our deacons, that's why our leaders 
That's why our missionaries, our nurses, our teachers, our soldiers, this is why they've done what they've done. It's because they were made to do it. They found their pain and they lived it. So I thank you for the men that carry shrapnel on their body. Thank you for brothers like Dwayne Wagnitz who do it all over again. Carries a part of an RPG in his back right now as we speak. They do it again. As young men love their nation, young women love their nation. God, may we love our God even more. Listen, if you're here today and you're not right with God, like just understand this. It doesn't work without him. Life in general cannot work without the creator who gave you life. It's, it's unplugging this beautiful machine and saying, now run. It, it doesn't work. It has to be plugged into the source. There has to be power. There has to be life. Animation comes after the engagement. It doesn't come before. You can have all the right pieces in all the right places. It, it can be this wonderful car, but if there's no gas, it goes nowhere. And that, that is what so many lives are today. So many people just live this lifeless life. They're like the zombies on the living dead. They wander from thing to thing to thing, never satisfied, never fully alive, and all the time claiming this beautiful name of Christ. And I, I just, my heart for you today, please hear me. If you're not right with God in your pain, if you're not right with God in your, in your past, Jesus is the one that engineers the transference of these things. He's the one that opens the doors to your future, and he's the one that will close with finality the doors to your past. He forgives sins. He doesn't cover them. He cleanses them. He doesn't whitewash them. He washes us white. He jumped on the grenade, and we didn't feel a thing because we were saved. We accept, and we the responsibility of having been saved, like saving Private Ryan, looking at Captain Miller's grave, saying, I hope I've lived a good life. I hope I owe this. We owe a debt of every breath from this day forward. So hear me now, church. If you're not right with God, will you become right with God in this moment, right here, right now? You've been ignoring your pain. You've been ignoring your Savior. Here, now, will you make a commitment to him? Jesus, here is my everything. Everything bad, everything good, and everything possible. Is now in your care. If that's you today, say amen. Come on, all this room. God, we give you this with our amen. We give you this with our amen. We'll go anywhere, pay any cost, and still be in debt to you for eternity. <laughs> Thanks for setting such a beautiful example. You're not a God who says, do what I tell you to do. You're a God who says, follow me. I've done it, and I'll show you the way. We love you. Love you, love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right. If you need prayer today, People will be around here. You'll see them standing and loitering. If they're just here hanging out, just walk up and say, I need prayer. They'll pray for you, but we have other people that are here. Uh, other thing is this. Before you leave, what am I going to ask you to do? Anybody know? Before you leave the room, meet two or three people. Tell them hi. How many guys have already dismissed yourself like 30 seconds ago? I get it. All right, everybody stand up. They're ahead of us. Yeah, my pain, this service. I got to get out of here. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Love some people on your way out. We'll see you again next week. We're going to hit proficiency and where these three circles overlap. I'm going to conclude this thought next week.